0: All right, good morning to you. We you know, David's right. We could like go home and go, Great day at Dorisville. I just want to say thank you for our worship team. I'm so grateful. Um, if you're visiting today, that's just a sampling of every week how God uses the people in our church to help us worship. And uh, I'm very, very grateful as pastor today and thankful for that team, the choir, just everything that came together was just so, so powerful. And we're really glad you're here. Thank you so much for choosing. There are a lot of places you could be in worship today. We want to thank you for coming to Dorisville, for our members and also for our guests. Thank you so much for coming. And we do start a new series today titled entitled Praying, Colonial. On purpose, and uh, as you saw in the video, we're going to be looking at different areas and aspects of prayer. You know, Wednesday night, coincidentally, it didn't really mean to happen, but it happened. You know, in our study in First John, we talked a little bit about prayer, and I said something Wednesday night that I realized would be a very appropriate introduction this morning. And from my heart, too. You know, um, Judy and I have been married this June uh, will be 40 years. That's a long time. I'm, again, I, we are now those people. You know when you go somewhere and people say, oh, you've been married 50 years now? I'll go, oh, that's so wonderful. You've been married 40 years? Oh, that's so wonderful. We are now those old people that they say that about. I mean, we have, we have arrived at that point in our life. And here's the deal, and this is so true. And men, if you don't know this, you need to know this. Is you know, even after 25 years or 35 years or 40 years of marriage, yeah, I know Judy, I know my wife, and you probably know your wife or your husband very, very well. But here's the deal. What makes life interesting is there's still a mystery. There's a part of pooter that I still don't understand, Ooh. In fact, she tells me, she goes her once in a while, she'll go, think how boring your life would be without me. All I can say is, amen, sister, amen. You know, it's just, it's just wonderful, though, that there's this, this mystery that we don't know about one another. Now, here's the deal. Um, I've been married for 40 years, and I've been a Christian for 41 years. Now, I've been in church all my life. I mean, literally, I was one of those kids that mom threw in the baby bed, you know, in the nursery when I was a little kid. And pretty consistently, either through my mom and dad or through my brother, I've ended up in church all of my life. But I met Jesus on October 26, 1975, actually while being a lay leader, a worship leader in church. That's when I met Jesus. And, um, you know, so I've been a Christian for 41 years. I've been a pastor for 34 years. Been doing this pastor thing for 34 years and here's the deal. There is just so much about prayer that remains a mystery. Just like with my marriage, there's so much about God, first off. And on the bigger picture, there's so much about the Bible. But really about prayer, there's just so much that I still don't have a handle on yet. And I, I just told a little a young man who was coming forward today for salvation how that when you trust Jesus, it's a great journey. And I said, here I am, I've been, a, I've been a Christian for 40 years, I told him. And I said, I am still learning about Jesus. And I am certain you'd agree that you learn about God and about Jesus until, well, the last heartbeat and, and you go on to heaven. But prayer is just, some of it's just a great mystery to me. And we want to kind of look at that over the next, you know, seven weeks. You know, you know for instance, you know, um, we, we, I wrote some, some questions down. Um, you know, if, if God's will is always best... Why do I spend time convincing him that mine's better? I now, mean, think about that. If God's will is always best, in my way of praying, in our way of praying, really, to be honest with you, why do we spend time trying to convince him that his, our way is better than his way? You know, you know, why is it, if God is, like, good and gracious, like, why do I feel sometimes I'm begging him to do or not do something? I mean, if, if God is good and gracious, and He is, I mean, He's just an awesome, incredible God, and yet if we find ourselves praying and saying, "God, would you mind not doing this or doing that?" And it's like almost like a mistrust thing. And and then like the third thing I, I kind of thought about was, you know, it's amazing how that that we get as many people as we can. Praying for us, you know, get on prayer list. And, you know, if you're on Facebook, you put your prayer request out there and praying for you and praying for you and praying for you. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with prayer list. There's nothing wrong with Facebook praying, I suppose. But but my point is, is it like it almost seems like if we get a certain number of people praying for us that God goes, oh, okay, You know, the more the more. And I guess there's somewhere out there in eternity. And I don't know where it is, but somewhere out in turn, there's this magic number that God has. And when you have a certain number of people praying for you, your prayer gets answered. No, that's not true. We know that, but we kind of act like that. We kind of it kind of act like that. So, so prayer is just this huge mystery. And so, here is what we want to do. Everything that you know we believe about prayer, well, within the confines of the Bible, obviously, you know, those, those are good and, and it's true. But, but, I think what if what if prayer was like bigger than that? I mean, what what if prayer was much bigger than the things I even mentioned? You know, what what there is more to prayer than that. And we want to take the next eight weeks, including this week, and we're going to end up on Easter morning on that victory that you saw that last slide. But we're going to take eight weeks and look at prayer. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, um, verses uh, like really one, but, but we're going to start at verse number 4. Uh, he gives us like eight verses there that, that really define a whole lot about prayer. And, and we want to look over the next seven, eight weeks about, well, what about prayer? What about prayer? But here's what I know. I'm going to tell you up front hope you'll come back, but I'm going to tell you up front. Here's what I know. Prayer is a whole lot more about God than it is about us. Prayer is a whole lot more about God than it is us. Prayer is a whole lot more about getting His will done on earth and not our will done in heaven. Prayer is about praying on purpose. Praying with a purpose. And prayer is about intimacy with God and making God's kingdom bigger on this earth. So that's where we're going for the next eight weeks. And and I hope you'll come back week after week after week as we learn, as we discover, really what prayer is all about. And again, you know, I don't even claim to be an expert. I'm not an expert in anything besides eating, and I do that pretty good. Um, but, But I don't claim to be an expert. But together, I want us to learn a thing called prayer. So we're going to begin, okay, and we're going to stay really the next eight weeks in Matthew chapter 6. So if you're only going to take your Bibles and look there, Matthew chapter 6, okay, and we're going to start in verse number 4 today. We could start in number 1, verse number 1, but we're going to start in verse number 4, and we're going to look at, now here's important, listen up, we're going to listen to what Jesus has got to say about prayer. Now I think, again, he's someone worth listening to when it comes to prayer, okay? So he begins, um, and i tell you what we're going to do, just for continuity, let's go ahead and read verse 5, 6, and 7, 8. That's where we're going today, and then we'll start next week with the Lord's prayer, um, with the disciples' prayer. But let's go ahead and read these words. Now listen carefully. I'm going to read them slow. Try to slow down here, not get too passionate. Here we go. Whenever you pray, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, And on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, Jesus said, they've got their reward. But when you pray, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, he says... Don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows, this is key, your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us this incredible privilege of being able to come to you and talk with you, to pray to you. And Father, we sure need your help. I still believe one of the greatest prayers we ever pray as peoples when we're simply wanting to say, God, we need your help. And I want to say today, as the teacher of the hour, that I need your help. We want to do right by the Word of God that is our high calling today and really every week to do the word of god justice may it speak to our hearts and may would you guide this pastor this teacher this morning as i speak holy spirit holy spirit we want to pray as that wonderful song says that you will charge the atmosphere That you would simply charge the atmosphere of this place. And that you will guide and teach and speak and draw to hearts today. It's not about men or men, man or men. It is about you, Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, teach today into the hearts. Open our hearts that we might receive your word. And we're excited. Because of the importance of prayer, we're excited what you're going to teach us, not only today, but in the coming weeks. So, Lord, we ask you directly, as your disciples did, teach us to pray. And, Jesus, I ask this in your precious name, in that strong name. Amen. Amen. So he begins, then, in verse number 5, assuming that we're going to pray. He says, whenever you pray. So, So there's three things I want you to write down. First off is this. Prayer is a family affair. Prayer is a family affair. If you're going to pray to God the Father, then you've got to be one of His children. So, the, so the, the bottom line is, is prayer is a family affair. Now, if you are not a Christ follower, if you're not a believer in Christ, the key thing is, how do you become a child of God? How do you have the right to call God Father, because again, there's a certain way, there's a, there's a pathway there that you need to grasp, and it's not badness, and it's not Methodist or Pentecostal, it's not about starting and stopping, doing better, stopping this, starting that, it's not about going to church, it's not getting on the right clothes, and going to church, it's all about that. It's all about that. I told that young man who's coming forward today how that every person has sinned, all of us, and because we've sinned, we are separated from holy God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 6, it says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So so since the, the payment for sin was death, the Bible says that God became flesh in his son, Jesus Christ, and died for us on, this, on a cross like this, that we could have forgiveness of sins. Because we, we had nothing to bring to the table. All our church attendance and all our being good and all the checks we write and all those things, the good deeds we do, equate to a spiritual zero when it comes to our salvation. We had nothing that we could bring to God. And so God made the way. He made the way by sacrificing His Son on the cross. Jesus willingly died that people like you and I, regardless of skin color or how much money we make or where our address is in town... That people like you and I could come into relationship with God. And we get the privilege of calling God Father. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Amen? Isn't that pretty incredible? So if you've not started there, at the end of the service, I'm going to be standing down front. And there's going to be a young man come forward. And on the 29th of January, he asked Jesus to forgive his sins. He said, I believe what you did. And I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I want you to be my new boss. If that's something you never did, I'll be standing down front we'd love to share with you how that can happen in your life. So prayer is a family affair. And prayer is just something soon that that God's people will do. I mean, you know, it's, I know it, it happens like in crisis, again, going back to 9-11. On the morning of 9-11, all of a sudden America became a very prayer-filled nation. I mean, again, if you remember, we heard the Democrats and the Republicans getting together on the Capitol steps and saying, God bless America. And God probably is going, what? I haven't heard from you guys in a while. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody laughed. Okay, so so prayer is just something assumed that we will do. And and here's a key thought that we'll talk about later on, not today, but we'll talk later on, is that it's assumed that there's a measure of maturity, I think it's a pretty good word, a measure of understanding, because, again, if you misunderstand this, you'll, you'll grasp the idea that when Jesus said, ask what you will in my name and I'll give it to you, go Cadillac, Nineteen, 1965 Mustang, baby blue, white interior, go God. That's not exactly what he had in mind. So it's a family affair, it's something soon that we will do, and there's a measure of understanding the scripture when it comes to prayer. So Jesus said, so when you pray, when you pray, alright, and, and we will pray, it's assumed that we will pray, and by the way, there are prayer walkers and prayer warriors, okay? In other words, prayer warriors are are that time when we gather into our secret room we're going to talk about today. Prayer walkers is where Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And he said, pray without ceasing. That we should be able to... There's a kind of prayer when we get alone with God and, and, and share our hearts and souls and bear our hearts and souls. And there's a prayer that we walk as we talk throughout day. And somebody brings to our mind, comes to our mind, we say, Oh God, please watch over that person today. There's that that goes on. So there's prayer walkers and prayer warriors. But he's assuming... That we will pray, all right? When we pray, though, we must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing on the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. He, he starts out by saying what we shouldn't do. Don't be like the hypocrites. And let's talk about that just for a moment. The world loves to say this I'm not going to church. Those people down there are a bunch of hypocrites. Anybody heard that before? Uh, Yeah. Here's the deal. A sinner going to church is not a hypocrite. A sinner going to church is not a hypocrite. The world misunderstands something. Well, probably because we've, we've told them this message that Christians are perfect. Are we perfect? No, of course not. Not even close. We we are nowhere near, and we will never be near perfection. So it's logical, again, when you get sick, you go to a doctor. When you get real sick, you go to a hospital because, you know, hospitals are for sick people. Well, churches are for broken people. This room today is filled with nearly, oh, I'd say 370 broken people. So people come to church because they are broken, and we know we're broken. So next time your neighbor says, well, there's so many hypocrites down there, their assumption is because you're not perfect that you're a hypocrite. Hypocrite are not sinners who go to church, but they are people who say one thing and do another. That's a hypocrite. To be a hypocrite literally means to play the actor. And it's a perfect example of what we have in Scripture today. So, so when you say, I believe in prayer and you never pray, you're being hypocritical. When you're saying, I love Jesus and you hate your neighbor... You're being hypocritical. Those are genuine hypocrites. And we don't want that. But the fact that we come to church every Sunday and we understand that we're broken does not make us a hypocrite. So when your neighbor says that, be sure and explain that to him. But Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. The word word pray standing there, the word standing implies taking a certain position for a long time. So these hypocrites, either A, in church, you know, they loved it when the pastor would say, Brother John, would you pray for us, please? And John stands up and lowers his voice down and says, "Oh, great God of the universe. Now, he ain't talked to God all week. But he sounds real good in public. Okay? When, when Jesus says, don't be like that, these Pharisees, these, and Jesus calls them hypocrites, they love to pray standing in church or, or on the street corner. And, and it's been funny because the word street there in the Greek really implies a boulevard, a high traffic area. And these guys would, again, stand on the street corner and cry out to God these big, long theological religious prayers. But here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with long prayers, and I suppose there's not anything wrong with theological prayers. They ought to be theological. But the problem is, is the motive that they should be seen by people. Their motivation was not talking to God. Their motivation was being seen by men. Can I suggest something? We need to be careful. Whether it's prayer, whether it's worship, whether it's preaching or teaching, whatever it is we do, we need to make sure it's the right motive if we are doing what we do so people will say, "Woohoo! look at him, we are being hypocritical in our service. Be careful. Be careful when you worship that whatever you do and however you do it, it's authentic. It's real. Be real. Not, not to be seen of men. And this is kind of a point I want to make. Is that, be careful, your prayer life is not self-serving. Prayer is not self-serving. Our worship should be self-serving. When I stand up here, it should not be a self-serving thing. When David stands and leads some worship, the choir sings, the people sing. Everything we do should not be self-serving. It should be God-serving. It should be God-serving. It's so important that our hearts be real and be authentic. It's huge. It's huge. And then Jesus says, he says, now I'm going to tell you something. They've got their reward. If they want to be seen by men, that was the reward they got. If, and again, if a person sings or if I preach, and for the reward of men, you've got your reward. That's it. Now i want to write this down. Whatever we do in public should be less than what we do in private. Not the other way around. Everything we do in public should be less than. What we do in private. If we love to pray, when the pastor calls upon us to pray in the open, it should always be less than what we've already done in the morning in our secret place. Our service the same way. So Jesus says, don't be like these guys who love to be seen by men. When they pray, it's a self-serving gig. Prayer is not a self-serving gig. It's all about God and about getting God's will done. Now look what he says. Look at verse six. So, the second time. So, when you pray, and the you here is emphatic. So, so if you were speaking it, you'd say something like this. But when you pray, if, if Jesus was speaking these words right now, he would emphasize the you. But when you pray, okay, here's how it's supposed to be. Go into your private room. Shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. Now let me tell you something. It's time for a little confession. Last year, when we preached a series entitled The Magnificent Seven. We began, and by the way, that was a series on surrendering our eyes, ears, mind, hands, feet, heart, mouth to God. And I preached the first message on the Lord's Prayer. We spent one message, one time on the Lord's Prayer. I want, I want to confess something to you. I caved in. And softened this. I said. Contrary to scripture. I said. Now listen. I know you guys are busy. So your, pre, your secret place. Might be in the car. Your secret place. Might be sitting in your office cubicle. That isn't what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you pray, go to your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father. Can you pray driving your car? Yes. But let me tell you something. You know, you get you shouldn't text and drive because it is distracting. Is it distracting? How in the world can you pray to your Father in heaven and drive and not be distracted? If you're that road and routine in your prayer life, you got a problem. And by the way, I do pray when I drive. But Jesus said for his children to find a private room to shut the door and to pray. Dwayne, this is going to be really popular. I like when I say popular things. Dwayne, you don't understand. I'm busy. Look at me in the eye. If you're too busy to find time to get into your secret place to close the door and talk to the Creator God of the universe, friend, you're too busy. You're too busy. As important as prayer is in your parenting, in your employment, in your walk, as important as prayer is, you need to make time. Carve it out. Get out of bed earlier. Go to bed later. But carve out the time that you need to talk to the Creator God of the universe. Prayer is too important to receive a second place in our lives somewhere. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate that. I really do. It's, listen, 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 listen. You know me. At least I think you know me. I think, I think I, if I do this, tell me, you don't need to come to church and get beat up. My job is not to make you feel guilty and beat you up. But I do love you enough to tell you this that I've been doing this thing long enough to know this that it's important that you get aside with God and pray. You need to get aside and you need to pray. So so he says, get into your private room. Shut the door. I love this. Shut the world out. You, you don't need a TV playing. You don't need the radio, the news. Shut your door and pray. Now, you got to get honest with God. I'm talking about when you get in that room and you shut that door, it's time to drop all the political correctness. I guess there's a form of spiritual political correctness. It's time to drop all the fancy language, all the pretense, and you need to get gut honest with God. You need to get gut honest with God. You need to understand that you've got the attention of the God of the universe and he wants to hear from your heart. You don't have to worry because whatever you're going to tell him, he already knows. He knows, guys, when you took the third look at the girl yesterday, you aren't going to surprise him. When you weren't cool with your kids, you're not going to surprise him. When you told and went gossip somewhere, you're not going to surprise him. He just wants you to get gut honest with him. That's what he wants. I love this because we want to gloss over this. Shut your door and pray to who? Your father. Pray to God. Your father. And the word there is Abba. Abba. I I will try to go a little softer for him. Jackie said, Daddy. And that's, that's a good translation. But at minimum, it means dearest father. Let that soak in. Dearest Father. So here's the Creator of the universe, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, this all powerful God. He invites you to come into His presence, you and Him, audience of one, and says, Get gut honest. And by the way, remember something I'm your dearest Father. How can we turn that invitation down? How can it be turned down? I mean, what are we going to do that day that's more cool than that? Pray to your father. And, and, and then he says, and your father, your dearest father, wh- who sees in secret, will reward you. Woohoo! Come on, there's that Mustang again. No, I don't think, I really don't think that's it. I don't think it is. I really don't. I think, I don't know, but I think the reward is this relationship. There's an intimacy with God that you're going to gain when you do this. That is a great reward. As you journey through your day and you journey through the week and those those unforeseen circumstances pop up and things don't know, you're going to have a deep relationship with God that is very, 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 very valuable. I mean... Again, if you've been married any length of time, even if you're a man, and we don't get this very well, guys, trust me, okay? But even if you're a man who doesn't communicate well, you know the value. If you take the time and, and gut honest with your wife, when those crisis times come, you've got a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You've got someone who'll love you regardless and believe in you regardless. And ladies, it works the same way. It's, I'm picking on the guys because I are one. But, but it works both ways. So, so Jesus says, if you, if you won't be like the hypocrites, if you'll get in your private room, make the time, make the time, make the time. You'll get in your private room. You're going to shut the door, and you're going to get gut honest with your dearest dad. With your dearest dad, there's a reward. And that reward is this incredible relationship and openness with the creator God of the universe. Top that one at lunch today. That's really, really incredible. And then, then he says this. In verse seven, he says it again. And, and when you pray, third time, and when you pray, don't babble like the idolaters. The word babble there in the Greek means to repeat over and over again, to say the same thing over and over and over again. Don't, don't babble, don't over and over again those rote phrases. Like the idolaters. So the, the idea there is he switched his gears from, from religious people and non-religious people. And you gotta remember the culture. The culture was the Roman, the Roman Empire. Okay? So, so the word there, idolaters, can be translated maybe in your Bible, Gentiles. Might be a translation you might see in your Bible. Don't, don't pray like the Gentiles. And here's the deal. In the Roman Empire, they had like a zillion gods. Okay? They had like dozens of gods. And and the way that they thought they would get a hold of God's, their God's attention is they repeat something over and over and over and over again. So Jesus says, it's important, watch now, it's important when you pray that you don't let their culture get into your prayer life. Have you noticed, and I'm going to be very careful here, Have you watched TV recently, some of the stuff that's on Christian television? I'm not going anywhere with this, but to say this. When you pray, make sure it lines up with the Word of God. If God's Word says, pray this way, pray this way. If God says, don't pray that way, don't pray that way. I don't care what the preacher on TV says. I don't care what the culture, religious culture says. We are to be a people of the book. A people of the book. The Bible is our guide, not some man, including this man. Including this man. So, so don't, when you pray, don't repeat, don't, don't step outside the Word of God like the Gentiles do. Because they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. They imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Again, they felt like they need to get their God's attention. So they would preach long, long prayer. I'm sorry, they would pray long prayers and they would repeat over and over and over again. Now I'm gonna say something. Again, I'm I'm doing my I want to I want to help us. Beware of numbers for numbers' sake. Again. There's nothing wrong with being on a dozen prayer lists. Except when you somehow think that if you've got 100 people praying for you, that will sway God. God will choose one sincere heart over 100 Facebook friends. Praying for you, Prayer's your way. Now, they really didn't pray. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? One of the biggest lies told in church is I'll pray for you and it never crosses our mind again. So there's nothing wrong with multiple prayer lists. But don't count on numbers sake alone. God is not pressed and pressed. You will not find a scripture that says you're better off with a zillion people praying for you. In fact, isn't there a scripture? Yeah, hang on, I've got it here. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. That's the only scriptural number we have on prayer. Two or three. So be careful there. Just because this culture, the culture, the culture is more and more, the culture is more is better. God is so much more concerned with our heart than the number of people praying for us. Just just throwing it out there. You know why I'm throwing it out there? Because it's prevalent in our spiritual culture. It's prevalent in our spiritual culture. If I get cancer, I want 100 people praying for me. But I want 100 sincere hearts praying for me. That's what what we want. Now, Now, what does this look like? What does it look like? Well, what does it look like when we when a babbling prayer? What does a babbling prayer look like? Well, way back in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Elijah. And he was, he was challenging the prophets of Baal. Baal was the local god. And whoo, he was big and he's powerful, they said. So Elijah challenged their, his prophets to a little praying contest. And we had this great uh, recording of, of what that looked like. Let me read it to you. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, long prayer, saying, Baal, answer us. So their prayer consisted of this. Baal, answer us. Baal, answer us. Baal, 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 answer us. Okay, y'all see, y'all think I don't have rhythm. I've got it, baby. I just can't clap. Now, listen, listen, listen. There was no sound. No one answered. They danced. Hobbling around the altar they had made. They shouted, verse 28, they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's what the Gentile prayer sounded like. Dramatic? Yes. Emotional? Yes. Powerful? No. So what does a godly prayer look like? Well, let's just skip down a few verses. Look at verse 36 of 1 Kings chapter 18. This is Elijah's prayer. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Today, let it be known that you are the God in Israel and I am your servant and that it's your word. I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned. They have turned their hearts that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell, consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the, the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Do you see the difference? God, this is about you, Elijah said. God, that they may know you. And was the prayer answered? Was the prayer answered? When we start praying, God, your will be done, things will change. Some of you are so upset at this nation. You're worried about ISIS, you're worried about this, you're worried about that, about this nation... When's the last time you got on your face before a holy God and prayed for revival in this nation? Come on now. Y'all, we're all fired up about the nation. When's the last time we just got on our face before God in our secret place? If we took all that air we took complaining about people and spent that air praying to a holy God that would love to send revival when God's people get serious, maybe we'd see something. Maybe we would see something. Shoot, I'm already up in the neck anyway. Might as well go all the way. You, ladies, who's my husband, my husband, my husband. And you preach and you preach and you preach. Save the preaching and start praying for him. Stop preaching and start praying. Save your money. Don't buy the books. Pray for him. That probably pertains to the staff, too, by the way, in case you're interested. Man, when we get serious with God about this prayer thing and we we'll start saying, God is about you, God is about you, God's about you, and God says, All right, now I can do something. Now I can do something. Prayer is the lubricant that gets God moving. Prayer is the power that channels God's power where He can work. Prayer is essential. Prayer. Is essential. So he says in verse 8, Don't be like them, the babblers. Don't be like them. Because your father, and this is the, this is the gateway. Because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So, whatever prayer is, There's a couple things we know. One, it's not informing God. Hi, God, this is Dwayne with your daily medical report. So-and-so had their kidney out today. And God goes, yeah, I knew about that. Um, So-and-so is in the hospital. Yeah, I knew that too. Whatever prayer is, it's not informing God. And whatever prayer is, it's not persuading God. I'm sorry, I cannot believe that there's a God in heaven that loves me who says, if you don't beg me and persuade me enough, I'm going to sit here and let you die. I can't buy that, guys. I may not understand all the prayer is, but I just can't believe there's a God in heaven that loves me who would say, I'm not going to act until you get so many people or you pray a little more passionately or you you do something else. Can I have an amen? Doesn't that bother anybody else besides me? But somehow, that's what prayer is degenerated to. Somehow. I mean, can I challenge you? Because I, I, <laughs> I was doing my last minute study and I looked at God up in heaven. I said, God, they're going to push back. This is so contrary to what we practice, God, they're going to push back. If you're struggling right now and you're saying, it's time for this sermon to get over, Duane. But I ain't liking it. One thing. Would you look at the book? It doesn't matter what I say. My opinion is absolutely worthless. But it so matters what this book says. And I'm telling you, I guess, guys, in the world we live in, I wasn't being facetious about our country. Do you understand the country that your kids and grandkids are going to grow up in? telling you, if there's ever a time that we need to be authentic in our prayer life and seeking God's face, it is now. So, so. In Luke, we're not going to go there. Even for this study, we're not going there. But in Luke, in the other account of the Lord's prayer, the guys were watching Jesus pray. And when, it, when he got done, they said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples were taught by John. Teach us to pray like John taught his guys. And that's when Jesus gave the disciples prayer. So I want to end today. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And starting next week... We're going to dissect the disciples' prayer. We're going to dissect it and see and allow God what His Word says as it speaks to our heart, as He teaches us to pray. Would you bow your heads, please? As I mentioned earlier on, if you're here today and you have never been able to call God Father authentically, I would love to share with you. I'll be down front in just a few minutes as we sing. I would love to share with you about what it means to become a follower of Christ, what He did for you, and how you can call Him Father. If you're a believer today, can I ask you a question? And don't don't respond. Are you enthusiastic about your prayer life or disappointed in your prayer life? Most people would say, you know, I'm disappointed. It doesn't seem like God hears me. I don't even know why I pray, because nothing ever happens. Come the next seven weeks. Come the next seven weeks. Let's let Jesus teach us. So today, today would your bottom line, would your prayer be, God, I don't know where Dwayne's going with this, but I'm going to trust you. And God, over the next seven weeks, would you teach me to pray? Not what my culture says, not what my favorite preacher says, but what your word says. Lord, would you teach me to pray? And then as we progress, would you be willing to apply what the Word of God teaches us? Would you be willing to apply? God, I really don't understand how it is that the Creator God, you, why you had the rescue plan, why you had the redemption plan, is beyond my understanding besides your love for us. Your amazing, wonderful grace. And really, that's what this whole prayer thing is about, your grace. We shouldn't have the right and privilege to get in our quiet place even and get gut honest with you. But that's exactly what you said to do. So, Lord, help us. Teach us to pray. For my friend that's here today and doesn't know you, Jesus, and he can't call God Father, at least not authentically. Oh, let today be the day. You brought him here or her here on a divine appointment. Don't let them walk out the door without answering your call to their life. And God, for all the rest of us who are somewhat mystified by prayer, and we acknowledge today we need to learn. Give us a learning heart, an open heart for your word. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being a great Savior. Thank you for being a great teacher. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.